impossible. Delicious meat made from plants first hit our palates as a burger in the summer of 2016. The company says that making an impossible burger uses 95% less land and 74% less water. It emits about 87% less greenhouse gas than making a ground beef burger from cows. The plant-based burger has no cholesterol. It has more protein and less total fat than a similar-sized hamburger made with beef. Over the past few years, the Impossible product line has grown substantially, and so have I. I'm Hootie, and you're listening to Hootie the Foodie. He may be 12 years old, but he's an expert. You're listening to Hootie the Foodie, Season 2. My guest today is a James Beard award-winning chef and restaurateur. She's competed on Top Chef Masters and appeared on other food competition shows. She was among the first professional chefs to put the Impossible Burger on her menu and ended up collaborating with the Impossible Food Scene to develop Impossible, the cookbook. Chef Tracy Desjardins, welcome to the podcast. Where are you from? I was born in California in a small town in the Central Valley called Fireball. If you follow football... Josh Allen from the Buffalo Bills is also from Fireball. Hmm. What inspired you to begin a career as a chef? I started cooking when I was 17 years old. I dropped out of college and decided that I wanted to be a ski bum and was going to support my endeavor as a ski bum by being a cook. What was one of your favorite first jobs in the kitchen? I think every first job I had in the kitchen was my favorite. I started when I was 17 with an amazing chef that had just come over from France. And I thought that I had just landed in the best place in the world cooking. He was really serious and at the cutting edge of, of food at that point in time. And I was so lucky to be in that kitchen and seeing some of the best food happening in the United States. So my first job was just eye-opening, and I knew that I wanted a career in the food world. Did you do formal culinary training? I did not go to culinary school. However, I did a series of apprenticeships. And um, so, yes, I think that my... My culinary, my early culinary training was very formal. I went through all the foundations of French cooking, going through the kitchen in a, a traditional brigade system where you start out in garmanger and then you, you work your way up to poissonnier and saucier and then do a turn in the pastry department or pâtissier. Wow, that sounds intense. It was quite intense. Yes. Um, I was 19 years old when I went to work in France and worked in two three-star Michelin restaurants and and two two two-star Michelin restaurants. And so I was really working in some of the best kitchens in the world. Wow. Why do you like working with food so much? You know, it's creative. It's a craft. You're constantly moving. I'm a very physical person. I, I love to be on my feet and in working and it combines a lot of your senses. You have sense of taste, visual, hearing, and the physicality of it has always appealed to me. I can't imagine really sitting at a desk job. I love to be moving in whatever I'm doing. And it just kind of checked all the boxes for me and and has been an amazing 40 years doing what I do. And I still absolutely love it. Was there any part of your culinary adventure that you didn't like? 
Um, I don't think so. I mean, it was, you know, it's a lot of hard work, really, really long hours, but I don't have any regrets. I've really loved pretty much every moment of what I've done. And I feel like I landed in a, in a career that was really my, my calling in life. How was it opening your first restaurant? It was, it was amazing. I had already been an executive chef at a restaurant called Rubicon in San Francisco. And so I had a lot of the responsibilities of an owner. And I had a lot of oversight of all of the aspects of running the restaurant. And so when I started my own restaurant, it was really a very exciting time in my life. I had a lot of amazingly talented people who wanted to come together and work with me. And it was just a total thrill. And I was just very excited about having my own stage and having all of the things that that go into being a restaurant sort of in my control. What's your favorite type of cuisine to cook or to eat? You know, that's changed over time. My training in my early days was really kind of what you would call nouveau cuisine, French cooking that was uh, sort of that new genre. It wasn't the old heavy flour-based foods with a lot of butter and cream. It was more olive oil-based stocks and broths that were much lighter. So that was my early training. I think that now um, it's evolved over time. I love really market-driven very sustainable seasonal food. I really love Mexican food. I really love Japanese food. During COVID, I delved into a lot of different kind of cooking, craving the restaurants that I couldn't really access. I started to really cook a lot of Japanese and Vietnamese food. So I don't think I really have a favorite, but I think if you asked me if there was only one kind of ethnic food that I could eat for the rest of my life, it would be a real toss-up between Japanese and Mexican. Is there anyone who inspired you? Oh, I mean, there have been so many people along the way that have inspired me. Working in the restaurants that I worked in in France was just this epic experience that that was was so, so inspiring. And, and really like nothing that we have here in the United States at that point in time. Now we have so many more restaurants that really compete on the world stage and can be considered some of the best restaurants in the world. So I'm inspired by the evolution of restaurants and and what is possible. And one of the things I really, really love is is the, the move towards a less formal environment in the dining rooms and just an easier vibe, whereas you're still getting the most amazing food, but it's kind of chill. Did you first discover Impossible Foods? I was introduced to Impossible, I think it was in like 2016. One of my longtime business partners is on the board of Impossible Foods. His name's Fidel Bauchio. And he introduced me to the folks at Impossible who were developing the Impossible Burger because they had been in really a research mode and really trying to figure out what makes meat taste like meat and how they could make a plant-based version of it. And they were really thinking about the science of that. And all of a sudden, I think they realized that they had a food product and that they were going to market with a food product and they needed the consultation of somebody who lived and breathed food and taste and texture and all of the aspects of food. And so I was introduced to them. I tasted the impossible, the early iterations of the Impossible Burger, the first version of it, and started to engage with the company and Pat Brown. And 
They were really in the very beginning phase of their launch. And I got to play a role in the vision for what the company has become. Were you using plant-based meat before this? No. I mean, it's, you know, it's amazing because you say plant-based meat so easily, but we had to go through all of the pain of trying to figure out how to describe what we were about to market. And the phrase plant-based meat didn't even exist. And so we had to decide what we were going to call it. And that's what we came up with. And Impossible and Beyond Meat were kind of coming to market at almost the same time. And nothing before that could have really been called plant-based meat. How did it feel to be on Top Chef Masters? Top Chef Masters was an amazing experience. I was with a tremendous group of colleagues in the industry. You know, it's a very competitive show, but it's also really about camaraderie and supporting each other and the bond that you make in the kitchen when you're under that kind of pressure and, and performing at that level. Would you do it again? Yes, I would absolutely do it again. It was an amazing experience. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about other people. And it was actually a lot of fun, even though it can be very stressful as well. What other food competitions have you participated in? I was on Iron Chef America. I I actually won, um, which was awesome. It was sort of in the early days of Iron Chef. So that was one. I've been on some other shows that you probably wouldn't really know. I've been a judge on Top Chef, you know, so so really looking at it from the judges table rather than as a competitor, which is is a different aspect. I've also been a judge on Tournament of Champions. I know that you interviewed Brooke Williamson, so I've been behind the scenes judging her food, and that's a blind judge. So we don't really know who's cooking the food. We're only looking at the dishes and it's a really interesting experience to look at it from that side of things. How did you like judging? Judging. I I feel the pain of the competitors and of the challenges that they're presented with and and the, the pressure that they're under. And I really appreciate what incredible skill and and craftsmanship they bring to the table and how incredible they really are. I mean, Brooke is I've tasted her food on a number of occasions and she's just really, I mean, I kind of call her the assassin because she's just so good. She is amazing at what she does and she makes really delicious food and it's technically perfect. And I can't really believe that she can overcome the things that are thrown at her and, and execute to the degree that she does. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Chef Tracy Desjardins. We're back to Hootie the Foodie. Welcome back to Hootie the Foodie. I'm talking to Chef Tracy Desjardins. You're now the culinary advisor at Impossible. What exactly does that mean? Well, I do lots of different things. I'm usually looking at products when they're pretty close to going to market, and I'm working with a research and development team to refine different elements of products once they get them to pretty much to perfect. I work a lot with the marketing team there and doing you know, stuff like this, um, interviews, uh, television segments, doing cooking demos. And of course, I worked on the Impossible Cookbook and created a lot of recipes working with Impossible to you know, really bring it to people's homes and, and tell people how to cook with it. 
Yeah, my sister's vegetarian and she will only eat Impossible. Well, that's awesome to hear. I love that. Yeah. Does Impossible make other plant-based meat alternatives such as chicken or sausage? Yes, we have a line of different sausages. We also have chicken nuggets. They're super delicious. And we have more products coming to market all the time. We have a really robust R&D team that is uh, constantly coming up with new products. And it's super exciting. What was the name Impossible like made up? You know, that was part of the early brainstorming. Um, The company was always called Impossible. But when we were naming the first product, which was the Impossible Burger, we gave a lot of thought to, you know, what we wanted to call it. And that's what we landed on. And I think since then, you know, everything has sort of followed suit. Impossible Bratwurst or Impossible Chicken Nuggets, using Impossible as um, the key word in in describing all of the different products that we have in the market. Is the beef vegan? Oh, yes, absolutely. It's entirely plant-based. So what's in the secret recipe? Well, the secret recipe is really the heme, which is a, um, it, it is derived from the root nodules of a soy plant, and it is propagated through a process that's very much like fermentation. And it has all of, it's called heme, and it has, it does a lot of the same things that that blood does. And so it turns from bright red to brown when you cook it, which is called the Maillard reaction. And it has a lot of those elements and flavors that you really get when you're cooking beef. And that is the differentiating component to what we do. And the thing that makes it really just a huge wow factor and makes it really look and taste like ground beef. That sounds like a lot of science. (laughs) It is a lot of science. And it's a lot of science that goes way over my head too. The team that we have there who are constantly working on iteration and making different products and making better products is really inspirational. And the the mission of of the company is, of course, all around sustainability and trying to make a healthier planet and really mitigate the impact of meat on on the planet. And it's it's a great vision. And I find it really inspiring and am so happy to be a part of that vision and the company. Is there going to be impossible steak? We are working on impossible steak. There are iterations of that. Um, We are not quite ready to go to market yet, but it is an aspiration of the company. Sign me up. (laughs) Can you substitute impossible wherever you might use beef? You can. And that's been the inspiration, I think, a lot in the Impossible Cookbook is really thinking about different ethnic recipes that represent ground beef. And that's kind of been my approach all along to how I want to cook with it. I sort of think about all the different ethnic foods that you can use ground beef in and use that as the basis for inspired recipes. I'm going to have to get that impossible cookbook for my sister. You should absolutely do that. Do you cook a lot? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You might have to get that impossible cookbook and cook some recipes for her. Yeah. How would you make the the perfect impossible burger? Well, I have a lot of understanding of the different elements that really support the foundational piece of what that that burger tastes like. 
And the burger that we made at Jardiniere, which was it's my restaurant, which was my signature restaurant for a long time, but has subsequently closed. And we came up with an impossible burger, which was one of the first ones served in restaurants. And we made it with a, a griddled uh, bun, which was completely vegan, and a little Dijonese, so plant-based uh, mayonnaise mixed with a little mustard, caramelized onions, the griddled impossible burger, a uh, little gem lettuce, and some slices of tomatoes if they were in season, and some mashed avocado. And the Dijon and the avocado added a lot of fat, and it was and some sli- sliced cornichons as well, which is like a little you know French pickle. So it was very much in the keeping of French style burger. And all of those elements were just super delicious with the Impossible Burger. What are some creative recipes one might make with the Impossible meat? I've made a lot of really fun things. I mean, one of my favorites is probably a larb, which is a Thai dish with um, silver noodles and a lot of spice, substituting amino acids for, for fish sauce. And it's served in a lettuce cup and it's got spicy chilies and cilantro and lime juice and rice noodles. And it was super, super delicious. I've also made Mexican food with it, like little tacos dorados, which are like a fried taco. And I I cook garlic and guajillo chilies and and onion and mix that with the Impossible Burger and then roll that up in a tortilla, a corn tortilla, and make a taquito out of that. That's really, really delicious. It makes great tostadas. And then your traditional recipes like bolognese and meatballs. There are so many things you can do with it. You could do like a an Indian kima. I mean, there are just lots of different possibilities. Oh, yeah. I am definitely getting that cookbook. <laughs> yeah. A lot of those recipes show up in there along with like Philly cheesesteak and a lot of really great classic American mm-hmm. recipes. Lots of different burger recipes in there. And it's a fantastic cookbook. You should not miss it. Can you cook it safely in the microwave? I definitely, but it definitely lends itself to, you know, the browning elements that you, um, that's the magic. The heme is really, it's all about sort of the, the Maillard reaction and the caramelization and those flavors that it gives off when you brown it. And you miss that in the microwave, but you can definitely microwave it. Are you working on any new restaurants or projects? I don't have any restaurants in the works right now. I'm taking a pause from the restaurant business post-COVID. I was running six restaurants before COVID happened. And now I'm running what I call half a restaurant, which is a restaurant that's only open seasonally. It's not literally half a restaurant. But since it's only open half the year, that's the way I sort of frame it. Chef Tracy, where can we find you online? You can find me at tracydesjardins.com. You can find me on Twitter at Chef underscore Tracy. And you can find me at Tracy Desjardins on Instagram. My awesome audience, thanks for listening. I'd love it if you shared me with your family and friends. I'm Hootie, I'm hungry, and you just listened to Hootie the Foodie. You've been listening to Hootie the Foodie. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, make sure to like, rate, and review in your podcast app and follow on Instagram at Hootie the Foodie. Till next time.